Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Essay Voices from the Field. Each week we aim to bring you the true stories of student affairs. Over the course of this podcast, we hope to bring you both voices that feel like they are telling your own story and those that bring you stories you've never heard before. The podcast with expert guests and practical advice. Get ready to learn and become the best higher ed professional you can be. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. This podcast is sponsored by NASPA, Student Affairs Administrators in Higher Education. I am happy, excited, every word that you can think of about having this guest on the phone. We have Dr. Lynette Merriman join us to talk about student death on campus. The reason why I chose her, and you'll find out why from her position, the University of Southern California fight on, because it's, it's, it's happening every day. And if you're, not a, if you're a student affairs professional, you have definitely gone through some type of student death. So thank you, Lynette, for joining us today. We really appreciate it and want to hear your insight on this. So if you would, introduce yourself and give us a little background about the wonderful campus that is USC. I'm a little biased, y'all, on this one, so work with me. Well, first of all, Dr. Bennis, Corliss, thank you so much for the invitation. This is obviously a very important topic, and I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation about it. The University of Southern California is a large urban university just south of downtown Los Angeles. We have students from throughout the country and throughout the world. In fact, most of our students are not from California. And currently our total enrollment is about 47,000 students. That does include online master students. So we have students on campus and different locations as well as studying from throughout the country and throughout the world. A very large international student population here at the university. And what is that percentage now? Uh, Well, right now I want to say that it's out of that 47,000, it's probably around 11,000. So we, one of the things we realize is, you know, most of our students, since they're not from California, we are their home while they are here. I remember, and, and just to give you a little bit of background, I worked at USC prior to California State University, Humboldt, where I've been for two and a half years. But the last 20 years prior to that, I worked at USC and, and have been a colleague of Lynette Merriman for years. And then she also served as my supervisor for the last I don't know, how many was that? Three years, maybe? Two, three years? Uh, probably about three years or so. I- so speaking of that unit, tell us a little bit more about your background, and especially since you were there. Well, at least I've known you for 20 years. Have you been at USC longer than that? A couple of years longer? I have been at USC longer than that. Ironically, I've been at USC close to 30 years or so. I've actually had the honor of working in three academic units in a student affairs capacity. So three of the professional schools here at the university, as well as now I think I'm in my third administrative unit here at the university. I had experience in admissions. Most of my experience was in main student affairs at the university. And most recently, I stepped into a new office, an office that was created about a year and a half ago called Campus Wellness and Crisis Intervention. And so before that, just to let you know, you did, what was the title? Because you know how titles were. You were student advocacy or our unit. What was the name of our unit? So uh, when I was in student affairs, which, like I said, I was working in up until about a year and a half ago, I was 
an assistant vice provost, and I was over the umbrella unit of called Support and Advocacy. And so that had the Office of Student Support and Advocacy, Judicial Affairs, Relationship and Sexual Violence Prevention, as well as the Cultural Centers, and for a little bit of time, Disability Services and Programs. So just for everybody to understand, Lynette, basically, even though she had all of those, her main piece, or the one that probably kept her the most busy, was the student advocacy piece in which she had to deal with all of the student deaths on campus as well. And I'm going to assume because you did that so well, they expanded that to campus wellness so that it could include faculty and staff. Is that correct? That's correct. I started working in the troubleshooting part of student affairs and support, advocacy, and then crisis response in about 2003. And at the time, it was tiny. It was me. And then it grew into a full office called Student Support and Advocacy. And and so that was responding to any critical incident as well as providing support and hoping we could help people with small issues before they became critical incidents. But about a year and a half ago, a little over that, actually, our provost realized that we did a really good job of responding to student situations, but realized we weren't as prepared as a university. And responding and supporting faculty and staff as well. So in my new office, which is Campus Wellness and Crisis Intervention, I actually oversee campus support and intervention. So what I was doing with students before, we now offer support services and crisis response and advocacy, but mostly support and crisis response to not only students, but faculty and staff at the university. I would definitely say, I mean, it's probably near to a lot of our colleagues' hearts, but most recently for me, this topic is near and dear to my heart, which made me think, oh, we've got to have Lynette on the podcast to really talk about this issue. I just lost a student I was very close to. on, And then as early as this morning, I got a call from a colleague at about 536 this morning who he works at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. And he was just thoroughly upset and called me and his student body president was gunned down and murdered last night. Just walking back from wherever he was walking from to campus and got gunned down right there. You know, of course, anytime there's a death, it always reminds you either of the last person or people that have died in your life. But especially if we're at a college campus, it definitely reminds you of our students. And it's just unnecessary and just so unreal. And so the reason why I wanted to have you on our podcast was just you have done, I mean, I've watched you, obviously, and I've helped you or whatever students that I could. And and especially if I really, 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 really knew them really well. But I remember one of the biggest that I can recall that happened because you said you kind of started that in 03 was the whole uh, 9-11. And I know that you probably were helping with that, which then helped probably crossed you over to this crisis piece two years later. Tell us a little bit about how your day starts when you do hear about a student death and what steps do you do as far as contacting and all of that. Just kind of walk us through that. Well, you know, a lot of it varies because I think each tragedy, we respond in the most appropriate way, I think, for each tragedy. You're right about the 9-11 piece, and it made national news. We had a student who was a newlywed who actually took their life after 9-11 because she lost her husband on one of the airplanes. And that was the very first time that I actually worked on a student death, and I was not the lead at the time, although the people who were normally the leaders on that were not in town. So 
I ended up taking on a lot more. But one of the things that I've learned is to respond appropriately, you really need to spend time in understanding the impact on the students in the community and the family. Families have different expectations, different needs, different wishes, families of students who have passed, and then all the communities on campus that are impacted by the tragedy. So we work very closely, as I know all universities do, in identifying the communities that that student was a part of that we know are going to be impacted and providing support and resources and help to, to get them through this horrific incident. I mean, deaths vary so greatly. I mean, when you look at a university of our size, we are a pretty good-sized city, and so we're going to have tragedy. So it could be anything from a student who's been ill from a long period of time, which their friends would know about or may know about, to a a car accident, to you name it. I've responded to almost every type of death, I think, over the years that I've worked here. But every one, our response is just a little bit different based on, like I said, what the family needs, family expectations, and we want to do the right thing. Right. I can, I'm just, just thinking about all the different ones. I remember clearly the, I believe he was an international student who was robbed over at one of our campus residents, outside of the campus resident, and how you had to get on that to get the whole, because it was an international well, student calling. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, some of the tragedies, and I'm going to actually generalize this a little bit, that was um, a little bit farther from campus. But the situation when you have international students is, one thing is you need to identify folks on campus who can speak the language. I have names of folks lined up who do speak Mandarin. We do have a large Chinese student population because I'll be honest, my Mandarin is minimal and will not be able to be effective in supporting the family. As a university, if the family wants to, and most do, we will fly them over here if they need help in getting a visa expedited. Sometimes we can help with that. Sometimes we can't, but we'll see what we can do. We would pick the family up at the airport, and basically we take our cues from the family. If they need help in finding a mortuary for their culture, L.A. is a big city. We can find a mortuary that will serve multiple cultures, and we want to make sure that the student is prepared meeting the needs of their particular culture. One example that stands out that I've actually shared in some presentations is a number of years ago, we did have an international student who passed away from Mongolian region of China. I want to say region because I hope that's correct. And as the family was getting ready to come over here, we heard that they had a request that we prepare, if possible, if we could help them put on a burning ceremony. And it had to occur by sundown of a certain day after the student's passing. And that day was going to be the day they were flying in. And so I didn't really know what a burning ceremony was, but this is the importance of having relationships across campus. So we did a little research. We talked to folks we knew who understood uh, Mongolian culture and what a burning ceremony might entail. I called our fire safety guys here at the university and I said, is there any way we can have a burning ceremony by tomorrow at this time? And talked to them about it. And I said, we need a secluded location. We would need X, Y, and Z. And a few minutes later, they said, Tell us everything you need. We'll figure it out. And so not long after, they had sent me text pictures of different areas of location that were isolated, that were pretty, where the ceremony could occur. And when the family came to town, we were ready for it. The the burning ceremony took place. And ironically, a few years later, we had another family request the same thing. And both families were extremely grateful. And we just, we learned as we did it. But we did right by the family. And see, a lot of people don't think about 
that piece of it, culturally how we celebrate the life of someone. And so I'm sure you have your own little notebook that has, you know, as you learn about each culture and you're ready to go if, if another student from that culture happens. But there are so many different, quote unquote, rules and regulations per culture that have mm-hmm. to do that surround it around um, the death piece within that culture. So that's very interesting to learn about that because I wouldn't have never thought of that until, and you probably didn't know, like you said, about the burning ceremony. Oh, so no. you were ready. To we ne- didn't know. We, we learned as we went. Absolutely. But it's something to think about. We do have a list, for example, of different mortuaries, whether someone is Chinese or Russian, etc. Um, we keep those. I don't know if we'll use them again. It would be great if I could say i would never need to use these again. But I think it's important that we, you know, we do keep our list because realize that a lot of students, when they are sent home, they're, because home is far away, they go through a mortuary here in Los Angeles and their families wouldn't even know how to start finding one. So that's something that we do. Right. And then what another important part is knowing that you have a list of colleagues on campus that, that speak different languages. And USC, and I say we because I'm an alum, so I'm going to say we, we have several languages. First of all, spoken in Los Angeles, over 100 spoken in Los Angeles. And then when you start to look at the population of international students, just the fact that you take the time to say, okay, I'm going to need translators in all of these different languages, and you're just adding to the list as USC gets more students from different places. And I think that's very important to recognize that every campus needs to have that, especially if you have a large international population, but you just should have it anyway, because even if you have 1%, you got to do it. Yeah, well, the one benefit also of being in a large city like Los Angeles, if we cannot find a speaker on campus, there are a number of consulates here. So we've had to call sometimes on occasion a consulate to come in and bring in a translator for us. And now there are tech, there's technology, obviously, there are apps that help translate. But sometimes it's just nicer to have someone speaking to the family in their native language. It seems to be more comfortable for them. And so again, we, you know, they're meeting us at the like the most horrific time in their life. And we want to make help the family feel as comfortable as possible. So as we switch from student death, even though that's the main topic, and but your expertise now in the last year and a half has added your responsibilities to st- staff and faculty. And I'm sure you probably use some of the same techniques as far as finding mortuaries and helping the family as much as possible. But tell us a little bit about what you do that might be a little different when you're dealing with faculty and staff. Well, with faculty and staff, I mean, uh, we we haven't responded uh, to many, I'll be honest with you, but in terms of having to find mortuaries, et cetera, unless the fact uh, most of our employees, uh, family members, obviously, are local or they're in a community where they can help with that. But one of the things we do is we start identifying, again, communities on campus impacted. If you have a faculty member who has a lab who teaches and is running a research institute, I mean, we want to identify it serves on different committees, etc. We want to identify those communities that this faculty member has been involved with because if they pass away, you know, I mean, once they pass away, we, we want to be able to reach out and provide support to the folks that we can. I think one of the reasons why our office was developed is we did have a faculty member who passed away and was working in student affairs. And I was called, even though it wasn't a student, because if it was a student, I would have responded right away. But basically, I a colleague and I realized that 
we didn't have a responding team for employees. So she and I responded and she brought members of the counseling center t- staff to support folks that this particular individual worked with. And I basically took the student protocol and I started to adapt it to the situation at hand. We work more in my current role. I work very closely with human resources uh, because they've had some processes in place. And I also work very closely with faculty affairs. And it's really a partnership between those offices, depending upon if it's a faculty or staff member. And again, we want to show that this person was a part of our community and we're here for the family. We now, in my new role, do reach out to all members of our community who might be impacted by a critical incident like a natural disaster, the fires. You know, we're going to identify our faculty, staff, and students from the fire impacted region and reach out to them and see if they need support. So we're just kind of looking at it through a larger university community lens now. And you read my mind because I know most recently, as everyone knows, California has just been on fire lately. I'm not sure what is going on. And I, I, I mean, literally, right. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I really think people are starting them because you have one. I, don't, I can't even remember which one started first, the campfire that's up here because I'm in Northern California near the Oregon border, but the fire and I'm right on the coast. So the fire mm-hmm. was probably three hours southeast of me. And so there was, there was that, I didn't know why I was having headaches. And then someone was like, yeah, the fires. And I was like, oh, cause I'm not really good with smoke as far as with my allergies. So I'm not sure if it was the campfire that started first or the one in Malibu, but it was so close that it was almost if somebody's like waiting and when one starts, they just go ahead and start another. And then there was another one near San Diego or San Gabriel. Wasn't there three? There were, I'm sorry, let me back up. There are two in your area. There were a couple. And you know, one of the things that we do in my office is we track natural disasters or events that happen throughout the world where we might have people at the university who are impacted. So when I think about last year, when I first started this office, now realize that I'm now working with faculty, staff, and students. But last year, we reached out to faculty, staff, and students with hurricanes, the Vegas shootings, the California fires, and the shooting of the Marjorie Stoneman High School. California mudslides. There were fires in New Mexico and Colorado. There was flooding in Maryland and North Carolina. There was a volcano erupting on the island of Hawaii. So we identified folks from all these areas impacted and just basically said, we want to see if you're okay. I mean, the the tragedy with the Woolsey fire, as well as the borderline shooting, we had students who were impacted both by the shooting and by the fire. And we need to be aware of this. So those are things that we track all the time in my office. That's a job in itself. Is So basically, do you have, I mean, because you said at first it was just you and then you started to hire. How many on your team at this point? Right now, our team has, let's see, a director, three advisors, a health leave coordinator. We, we probably, so we doing the actual response and support, we're talking about four people plus me. And I usually just, I do the the bigger issues, but you know, every day there's something that could happen and started with student death. We, as a university this large, we might have as few as, sounds terrible, but it's four a year up to, to 15. And we always hope it's going to be a very low year, but we are like a city. And as much as it's painful to go through all these, we have to admit that there are going to be tragedy and there are going to be deaths. And as a university, we need to be a family about this. So do you, one of those people, are they pretty much glued to CNN to hear about things so that you guys can get in front of it and do, you know, so that you can start emailing who's ever from Maryland or who's ever from Malibu or how how does that work? Or all of you guys just have CNN running? All of us get a lot of the news alerts on our phones. Gotcha. And so what happens is we have a group me between the 
the entire group and someone usually says, okay, I'm going to reach out and get the emails. And so that's how we do whoever grabs it first. And then we start monitoring. And I mean, we do have to identify zip codes that are impacted. And then whoever grabs out and starts it keeps monitoring that. So it kind of passes around, I think, the office. But we all know, you know, we're, someone's going to get that one started. Because last year alone, my office worked with over 3,000 students. And that number keeps growing every year. And probably about, since we just started with the faculty and staff, probably about 25 faculty and staff. And that number is definitely growing. So there's always something going on, right? Right. And then not to mention the suicides, attempted suicides. I mean, that's just inevitable, unfortunately, because we're talking about major things, but then you Mm -hmm. all of it is major. Let me say that. Absolutely. All of it is major, but we're talking about, like you said, the disaster piece, but you're also dealing with student suicides. And remember when uh, Jason was shot, Jason Sneed, I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yes. I do remember that well. Yeah. visiting him in the hospital. Yep, me too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yes, I mean, we're dealing with shootings. More, like you said, with the shootings of different high schools, which means you need to identify who might have gone to that high school, as well as who lived in that area. It is just so much. Would you say that it has increased over the years since you It's kind of, it seems like tragedies have increased. I mean, whether they be natural disasters or something. I think we're also in a much, an environment with a lot more heightened anxiety about things. Social media provides a lot more information and it travels a lot faster about tragedies. Also, I think as an office or any office that does this work becomes a lot more visible, then you're going to get a lot more people coming to you. So when people say, oh my gosh, we have a lot more students who are challenged by X, I will say that may or may not be true. It might just be that they now know about our office and they're coming. It's kind of like when you have an office that responds to folks who are victims of gender-related harm. If the numbers go up, that could mean there are more people who are victims, or that could mean that more people feel comfortable about coming in if they are a survivor. It's hard to tell. You said you mentioned that, right? That you work with the Title IX folks too as well, right? Yeah, we work with any support team on this campus. We work very closely with student counseling. We have some great crisis counselors here at the university. We work work with our relationship and sexual violence prevention. We work with our Title IX office. We work with a lot of offices. And part of my new area, which has three prongs, it has campus wellness, it has my area, it also has threat assessment management. So we work very closely as a unit with these three entities in really trying to identify what's going on in terms of culture, what education we can do, what support we can provide. And so now that we have a full-time threat assessment employee, actually two full-time threat assessment management employees. We work very closely with them too. But like I said, we're a city and tragedies happen and I don't want to make it sound like, oh, tragedies happen. But I think we take everything very seriously. My whole thing is I want us all to show compassion and support and and do what's right for whatever the situation is. I want to make sure that if a student gets off track, that they're going to get back on track after that tragedy so they can be successful and they can meet their goals and they can graduate because they might only know us from a bad part in their life. I want to help them to get back on track so they can go to a good place. And I just know that we might help them get back to that good place with a lot of other people throughout the campus who are on our support team. Right. Wow. We can't do this alone. 
we have a couple minutes left and I just wondered, just kind of another weird question because we're talking about just everything. Do you also deal with students who might have been arrested or do you do you get involved in that part of student advocacy who might have been arrested and they called the office to, for help? What we get here is the gamut in our office. And to be honest, anybody showing up at our door in their mind, it's a crisis. It could be my laptop died all the way to my best friend died or something like that. So and everything in between. But we respect the fact that whoever's coming here, they might be saying, I'm in crisis. Okay. But we will respond and help with our students in any way we can. And we sometimes have to get creative in finding resources and we will do that. But I think we're in a community that wants to help one another, which helps tremendously. We do get informed when a student is arrested and there's not much that we necessarily do in those cases. They're on our radar. We might check in with them, but we don't do as much work on that. We do receive all reports that go through public safety that impact our students. And so maybe we can tell that that student made a bad choice because there's something else going bad in their life at that moment, right? That's a lot of what judicial affairs is, right? So a student makes a bad decision. Why did they make that bad decision? Okay, maybe they're having some mental health challenges. Maybe there's a tragedy at home and they're just not thinking clearly. When we find out about these, whether it be an arrest or a violation of the student conduct code, a lot of times the student needs help and we want to make sure they're connected to the resources they need. So we work very closely with judicial on that piece. We're still going to help judicial troubleshoot to make sure that, again, that the student is going to get back on track, make good decisions, and be able to reach their goals that they set when they came to the university. This has been and will be a topic that's not going away. And I appreciate you kind of giving us the, for lack of better words, rundown about the things that you do that hopefully will help our student affairs professionals out there who might not have thought about having on speed dial per se, for lack, if there's a, translators for the different languages that might be, I mean, I know if I'm hearing that from you, I know it's like, hmm, maybe that will encourage our student affairs professionals to look at and work with admissions to see where our students are coming from as far as our, our I should say, registrar, our current students and what languages are being spoken so that they can be ready. And, you know, again, some schools just don't have a large international population, but the few that they do have, they need to be ready. So that was a very good example. There are also services that you can hire as translators through the phone and things like that. So that's an opportunity as well that folks might want to look into. This topic is, like I said, really near and dear to my heart, having just lost a student that I was very close to and then having that call from a colleague this morning. Like you said, being able to, yeah, it's crazy. It's just, it's too much. It really is. And just having that impact with a student government person or the president, knowing that affects the entire campus, the entire student body for sure, but the entire campus, because normally when you're in those roles, you're interfacing with administration a lot and staff and faculty a lot. And so, I mean, he was just in tears when he called me and I was just like, oh my God, like this is too much. So it's unfortunate that this is a part of your job in the sense that we have to have a job like this and hopefully other campuses will develop a department like yours that deals with these tragedies. But unfortunately, we have to go. Our time has ended. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. The things that you've said, I'm sure our colleagues are taking note. So Dr. Lynette, my friend, my colleague, really, really love that you agreed to do this and that we may circle back around as a part two, maybe talking about, you know, practical steps because uh, maybe other institutions don't have a team and they want to develop. Thanks for listening to Student Affairs Voices from the Field. If you enjoyed your time with us, tell a friend. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. 
If you want to be a guest, tell us your story. Email us at savoices at naspa.org. You can find all our info at naspa.org slash savoices. See you next time.